The podcast you're about to listen to may contain random lines from musical theater, terrible attempts at regional accents, and a sincere discussion about mental health. You have been warned. Are you ready to start singing with your feet? Formidable! Allez, c'est parti! Juste dans la joie Une joie profonde Nos cœurs, elle inonde Cette joie, elle vient du ciel Non, nous ne sommes pas fous Welcome to Sing With Your Feet My name is Lily Fields And I'm going to be your fairy godmother For the next half hour or so This week's topic is one I hope will come At just the right time for you In your Cinderella life We are talking about gift giving for this week and the next. But as with just about everything we talk about here on the podcast, we're going to relate gift giving back to the golden rule. So we have a little bit of work to do because if you are anything like me, Cinderella, gift giving is one of the most frustrating, most anxiety inducing parts of the holidays. The gift I hope to give you this year is to help you bring even one tiny bit of inner peace and joy into this tornado of overwhelm that is the holidays. So we're going to start with a wide swath of thought experiments this week before next week when we will start digging into the list of people that you need to buy gifts for and thinking of how you can offer them a thoughtful gift that will speak volumes about just how much you love them. Speaking of which, have you started making a list of the people you need to find gifts for? It's not too late, but it's not too early either. So if you want a piece of actionable advice from your humble fairy godmother right this instant, go make that list. All right, for those of you who are still here, we're going to talk about my favorite subject. That is you, Cinderella. We're going to talk about you. I have brought an extra dose of fairy dust this week and I supercharged my magic wand. Are you ready? Let's go. Part one, what do you want for Christmas? Those six words, what do you want for Christmas? Are in my book, six of the most stressful words I could ever be asked. Rivaled only by the six word terror-inducing sentence, I need to talk to you, which if you suffer from imposter syndrome or any feelings of illegitimacy or self-loathing, you will recognize as a major trigger. But we aren't talking about imposter syndrome today, thankfully. We're talking about Christmas gifts. I'll be honest. I hate both asking and being asked that question. I hate it that I have to ask the question of the people I love because my perfectionist instinct tells me that if I really loved someone, I should be able to know instinctively what would make that person happy, make them feel loved and seen and known. But I also hate that question because I know no matter what gift I will receive for Christmas, it will inevitably disappoint me. I'm old enough and have enough life experience behind me to know that no tangible gift would ever make me truly happy or feel truly loved or truly seen and known. Spoiler alert, Cinderella, if you haven't arrived at that conclusion yet, let me spare you some heartache. No gift left under the tree will ever fill you up because what you are lacking is probably not tangible anyway. But here I am getting out ahead of my crystal slippers again. 
let's remember the golden rule for a moment. Do for others as you would like them to do for you and love your neighbor as yourself. Obviously, if what I would like done for me is that someone gives me a gift that makes me truly happy, feel truly loved, truly seen and known, I am setting the bar very, very high for myself as a gift giver. The goal of this podcast is not going to be to resolve that particular conundrum. The goal of today's podcast is to help you examine what your deepest want is and maybe what your deepest needs are and to help you find ways to provide for them this holiday season. When you have started to scratch the surface of what your deepest want is, you will be able to start looking down your list at the people you love, the people you need to buy Christmas gifts for, and with the bandwidth that you have available, start asking the same question of them. I'm also going to suggest that perhaps looking for tiny ways to provide for others what you are lacking is going to bring you a harvest of fairy dust and joy this season. Several years ago, my husband asked me that dreaded question, what do you want for Christmas? You know I love my husband. I know my husband loves me. But that question threw me for a loop. I have no idea, was my genuine, honest, absolutely instant reply. My mind went perfectly blank. I mean, sure, I have a list of dozen things that I like. I have this little list that I keep in my circle secret journal of things that I love and that I want. But for some reason, the question hit differently once I actually heard it with my ears. Because I believe in listening to my own thoughts and reactions, and this perfectly numb blankness was something brand new, instead of just going into my secret journal and listing off a couple of things I had liked, I undertook to actually think about it and to understand why this question gave me that deer in the headlights moment. I wanna save you the numbness of a deer in the headlights moment, my dear. So I'm gonna ask you to go sit down. I want you to be in the most propitious position for thinking. Grab yourself a blanket, a cup of coffee, if that will help. (laughs) Grab yourself your little notebook, get cozy, because we're gonna talk through some things. Part two. The gift. I want you to imagine that your fairy godmother just handed you a wrapped gift. It sparkles in an otherworldly way. When you blow gently on the ribbons, a little covering of fairy dust floats into the air before dissipating. The wrapping of this gift is so exquisite you think to yourself, it's almost a shame to open it up. As someone who loves to wrap gifts, I do enjoy taking special care to make a package look very special. What I also know is that as a gift wrapper, quite often, and I'm not proud of what I'm about to say, but I take more care to wrap the gift than I actually did to pick the gift itself out. So, and I'm sure you have experienced this before, when you have a particularly cute little package and then you open it up, the contents are disappointing. That's never happened to you? (laughs) Well, you are a better person than I. But if this has happened to you, you'll know that feeling of letdown, which is a brutal cocktail of ungratefulness and disappointment. You almost wish you could go back to that moment before you opened the package, when there was still mystery and unknown and excitement. Well, this package that I just handed to you today, it is not that kind of package. Whatever is inside this package is, if you can believe it, even better than its exquisite fairy dust covered exterior. 
Whatever is contained inside this package is the thing that would give you absolute peace, joy, and happiness right at this moment. I know we're talking in the abstract right now, but I want you to imagine the texture of what is inside without yet trying to define what the thing inside the package is. Is it something soft? Is it cool and smooth? Is it stretchy or is it firm? Is it delicate or sturdy? Is the gift heavy? Is it light as a feather? What is the shape of the package? Does it have sharp edges or are the edges beveled or rounded? Whatever is in that package is the thing that your life is most missing right now. Notice, I am not asking you what you are needing the most right now. I am asking you in the abstract to describe what the thing would look like and feel like if it could be boxed up and handed to you in a pretty package. Please take a moment and imagine ways to describe what is inside that package with words without worrying about what the object actually is. Are there any thoughts that are bubbling up? Any echoes of conversations that are coming to mind? Keep dreaming for a minute. Is there any music playing while you imagine the scene? I'm going to share with you what happened when I allowed myself a few years ago to imagine what it was that I really wanted for Christmas. I am fully aware that this is idiosyncratic and that because you are you, your gift is going to contain something different than what mine contained. Depending on what is going on in your life or in my life, the contents might change too. What was inside my ideal gift last year won't necessarily be what's there next year. Okay, so here we go. The package that I had in my hands, it was flat, rather flat, maybe two inches at most. It was about two handbreadths wide. It was heavy for its size. The wrapping was breathtaking with intricate beading and, and a simple wide cream-colored ribbon tied in a bow holding the package together. Now, keep in mind, in this thought experiment, no matter what was inside of this package, I knew it would not be a disappointment to me. I knew that was ever in, what was ever inside, it would be a fulfillment of something deep and profoundly needed in my life. So there was a mix of excitement and trepidation about untying that ribbon. I'd like to think that I took my time opening the bow, sliding the ribbon off, maybe even smoothing the ribbon across my lap out of respect. Then I removed the beaded wrapping, and same thing, I neatly lay it across my lap. The box. The box is hinged and made of a live-edged piece of wood. It is smooth and softly finished. I run my hand over the details of the grain. As beautiful as this box is, what is inside is even more beautiful. So I slowly unlatch the box and open it. Inside, folded over the gift, is sparkly tissue paper, the only thing separating me now from the one thing that I truly want. I fold back the tissue paper. Whatever it is, it's the palest pink. It has a pearlescent sheen to it. It appears to be made out of something silky but stretchy. It's strong, and as I pull it out of the box, I hold it to my chest and can feel that it is the one thing that I truly need right now. But what is it? As I hold it against me and as I touch it to my cheek, a little waft of music floats through my head. 
is from Hamilton, which seems strange, but I recognize the melody as the song, Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story. It's a moment that leads up to one of the most exhilarating key changes in, in musical history, and I try to remember the lyrics, and it comes to me. And if you want to hear this for yourself, just go to the show notes and listen to the YouTube link there. It's at one minute and 50 seconds into the song. Eliza Hamilton is singing, and she says, The Lord in his mercy, he gives me what you always wanted. He gives me more time. That's right. This gift, this stretchy, soft, comfortable gift, which is the fulfillment of my deepest want and my deepest need at that very moment in my life, it's more time. Maybe for you, what you need most deeply right now is more sleep or more connection with your spouse or more peace in your heart. I want you to keep on imagining this thing that is inside your beautiful gift until that simple, deep, undeniable truth makes its presence known. I'm not a therapist or a counselor, and for you, this deep need in your soul might be something that you need to talk to a professional about in a more in-depth and personal way. I would encourage you, if this conversation becomes a trigger for you, to find somebody to talk about it with. Part three, the gift of the intangible. Well, that's all well and good, Lily Fields, but even you, my fairy godmother, cannot give me more time or more sleep or more connection with my spouse. This is true, Cinderella. I cannot give you those things, but you can. Granted, there are only 24 hours in a day, as we have discussed on myriad occasions. We have all exactly the same number of minutes in an hour, in a week, and in a year. And yet, what was in that box, that one gift that would not disappoint me, was exactly that. It was more time. You see, once you realize and come to terms with that thing that you are most lacking right now, you can start to make a plan to pursue that thing in small, practical, everyday ways. When I realized that what I needed and wanted the most, the thing that would bring me the most satisfaction would be simply to have more time, I started addressing it. First, by tackling the things I was doing to sabotage my experience of time. Things like wasting time on internet rabbit holes and wandering aimlessly through the grocery store. Tiny things like setting time limits on my electronic devices, or making an actual grocery list instead of the aimless wander, or even better, eventually discovering the curbside service of my grocery store. These things were the practical steps that made that precious gift of time into a reality in my life. Once you know what your deepest desire is, and you purpose to take yourself and your desires more seriously, you can start pursuing them. Until then, it's like you're living on a parallel timeline in which you will never be satisfied because you aren't taking yourself and your desires seriously. Part four, the elevator and the golden rule. So a funny thing happened once I realized that my deepest desire was for more time. I started finding ways to make the time that I did have more efficient. This didn't mean that I actually had extra hours in the day, but it did mean that I felt like I wasted less time each day. This may be a subtle distinction, but it's worth taking a closer look at. Our perception of our lives and the reality of our lives can be very, very different. I mean, when we're busy, we're busy. Our perception of that busyness, though, 
It can either be of anxiety and stress of where do I need to be right now? And oh, I should have done that yesterday. Or it can be, for example, joy. Look at all I got done today. Whoa, good for me. Good for me for not clicking on that link that would have sent me down that rabbit hole. You see, the reality is the same. We're busy. It's our perception of it that's different. Let me tell you a story. I live in a six-story building with an elevator. My family lives on the fifth floor, and we park our car in a basement parking garage. When I come home from the grocery store, I unload the car in front of the vestibule that leads to the elevator. I try to prop open the access doors with my grocery bags. I'm usually in a hurry when I do this, and I know for a fact that my heart is racing for fear that someone will end up needing to pull into the garage and find my car parked in that way. So I usually call the elevator while I'm there, knowing that it will still be a few minutes before I actually get to go up in the elevator. Once the trunk is empty, I hop back in the car and I go park. Then I walk through the two access doors collecting the grocery bags as I go, and I tap the elevator call button. If everything has gone as planned, the elevator opens up right away, and I put the groceries into the elevator, push the button for my floor, and away we go. For me, to feel like this has been a successful grocery trip, the one small element of that little dance I just described that has to be in place is that the elevator be called before I go park the car. Does this sound like a small, insignificant OCD detail to you? (laughs) It probably should. But let me tell you another story. Every school day, when I bring my kids home for lunch, one of them will take my keys to the apartment and ride in the elevator up by himself to unlock the apartment door, while the other one and I park the car and come up later. For some reason, when I arrive in the vestibule and I see that the elevator is still on the floor that we live on, I get irritated. Now, as someone who loves to examine these weird little psychological phenomenon, I wonder to myself, why do I get irritated when the elevator is still on the upstairs floors? And the answer was simple. It was a waste of my time. I also managed to feel disrespected and forgotten about. I mean, how easy is it to just push the button to send the elevator back down to the parking garage? Could that child not think of his mother and his brother before galloping off to unlock the door? Am I asking too much? Maybe I am. But the thoughts and feelings, my perception of the thing, is authentic. On the other hand, it happened once that someone who was arriving on a normal day and disappeared into the vestibule just as I was pulling the car in... When when I arrived at the elevator vestibule, I saw that the elevator was waiting for me without anyone in it. That person I had seen had sent the elevator back for me. And can I tell you how I felt in an extremely irrational and inexplicable way? I felt loved. I actually had the thought, this is what love feels like. I mean, I felt deeply in my soul loved. I felt seen and respected. And all of that simply because someone had pushed the button for the parking garage level when they got to their floor. When we talk about the golden rule, when we talk about doing for others what we would want done for us, how do you think that manifests for me now when it comes to the elevator? You got it. I always send the elevator back down for someone who's coming after me. You see, the golden rule helps us take what is our deepest need and find small, doable ways to fulfill that need for the people around us too. 
By recognizing and honoring our own deepest needs and desires, we are better able to care for and love others. Little by little, our perception begins to shift away from ourselves and our inconveniences, and it becomes about how we can bring more fairy dust and joy into the lives of the people we meet, which can also be, more simply put, loving others. Getting to the heart of our deepest need and desire can also help us answer that incredibly troublesome question, what do you want for Christmas? Now, if I know that what I really want and need is more time, then what I should give some extra thought to would be a gift that would help free up some time. My husband is an excellent gift giver in this regard, and when I told him that my deepest need was to have more time and more time alone, he came up with a plan. Now, several times a year, he packs up our children and takes them to his parents' house, leaving me for a few days alone with my thoughts and a large swath of time to do the things that I want and need to do. So, as you start to examine the contents of that perfect ideal gift, can you think of ways that someone who loves you could help provide that gift in small, practical ways? Even an intangible desire can have real-life manifestations. Taking the time to perform a little bit of self-examination can substantially increase your experience of satisfaction and joy. If you need help thinking this through, drop me a line, either by direct message on Instagram or by email, lily at singwithyourfeet.com. We can help you find more joy together this season. Elle me fait bon Part 5. The Love Languages and Gift-Giving Oh, the five love languages. Yes, yes, yes. We talked about this briefly last week, but it is absolutely critical to everything that's coming up next. So I'm going to real quick catch you up, especially if this is something new to you. Dr. Gary Chapman, who is a psychologist and a marriage counselor, wrote a book a while back called The Five Love Languages. In it, he posits that each of us experiences love in different ways and that we can put those experiences of love into five broad categories. Number one. Spending time. Number two, physical touch. Number three, acts of service. Number four, words of affirmation. And number five, gifts or tokens of affection. There are two complications to this rather simple notion. Number one, we do not necessarily express love in the same way that we experience love. And number two, the people we love do not necessarily experience love in the way that we express love. In the first case, it means that we need to do a twofold examination of ourselves, both looking at how we feel most loved and learning to recognize how that plays out in our lives, and then also how we are most comfortable expressing our love to others. This is complicated, for example, because you may be someone who experiences love by touch, but you're absolutely not a hugger yourself, or you may be someone who expresses love by I don't know, cleaning the toilet. But when someone does the dishes for you, it leaves you cold. Knowing yourself 
and how you express and experience love can be a wildly helpful thing when it comes to increasing your sense of satisfaction in your relationships. The second complication, we need to realize that when we go to express our affection to someone that we love, we need to realize that they might not experience love in the way that is most natural to us to show it to them. We might actually be putting pressure on ourselves for something that will ultimately backfire because it won't have the desired impact. The answer to the second complication is to become a student of the people we love and learn how they are most receptive to our overtures of affection. We cannot assume that we know what it would take to make a person feel loved because our own experience of love can get in the way. Like in my earlier example about my husband taking my children for a few days and leaving me utterly alone, spending time alone is one of my love languages. But you know what? Spending time together is one of his. So he had to learn that for me to feel loved by him, I needed to be alone. I know that doesn't make sense, but if he were to continually be making time for us to do things together, thereby fulfilling his need for love, then mine wouldn't be getting met. Now, this is a give and take, obviously, because what I know to be true is that he also needs, in order to feel loved by me, for me to drop what I'm doing and do the New York Times spelling bee with him every day before bedtime. The most important elements to mastering this crucial relational dynamic are, number one, become a student of our own experience of love, and number two, become a student of the people we love. Part six, becoming a student of the people we love. I've talked about this before, but truly loving people is hard work, isn't it? It's particularly hard when our feelings are having a difficult time catching up. This was true when I was experiencing postpartum depression. I mean, I knew in my head that I loved my family, but my emotions were kept at bay by a kind of numbness that seemed to reach into the deepest corners of my life. It doesn't take depression for this numbness to reign in our lives. I mean, we don't always feel soft and fuzzy affection for our families. It's hard. It's hard when you are wiping a kid's butt to have tender, warm feelings. But it isn't because we aren't feeling anything that we aren't supposed to perform these acts and these gestures and these behaviors of love. Caring for the needs of an infant is relatively simple. Holding, feeding, changing a baby is pretty much all they need. And it's all the experience of love that they know. But as they grow and their little personalities begin to develop, they start to show tendencies. One of my kids needs to be wrestled like Greco-Roman wrestling to know he is loved, but he shows it to me by playing with my hair. The other needs to have you sit on the floor while he runs from one side of the room to the other telling you a story that he is imagining. You don't have to do anything. You just have to be there. He shows me he loves me by making a little gift or a drawing and wrapping it up for me to open. And this he does every single day. My husband needs words of affirmation, and he needs to do the New York Times spelling bee with me to know that I love him. But he expresses his love by cleaning the toilet and taking the boys to his parents for a long weekend. Each person we love has this dichotomy. Each person, including every single person on our Christmas list. If you already have a list of the people you need to buy gifts for, and you have a little bit of bandwidth to try out this challenge I'm putting before you, pick a few of those people and consider the question, how does this person show love? And how does this person experience love? 
I tried this little thought experiment last year and I came to an unbelievable conclusion. One of the most difficult to shop for people on my list wasn't just being difficult every year at Christmas. It was that we had been trying to buy something tangible when what he really needed was to feel useful. That's right. My father-in-law, bless his heart, is someone who expresses love by performing acts of service. When I came to consider him and my relationship to him, I remember him being truly happy on only a handful of times that I have known him in 25 years. And each one of those times was when he had pulled off an exploit. One time, he had gone to every single shoe repair shop in the Tri-City area looking for a specific red shoe polish for a pair of my shoes. And he came back victoriously with the stance of a superhero. So when I came to consider how I could give him a gift that would make him feel loved and appreciated, I realized that if I could create an opportunity for him to pull off an exploit, then I would really be speaking his love language. So that's what we did. We paid for a trip for him to come visit us and help us fix up some things in our apartment that we needed help with. We made a list of things, cupboards that needed repaired, holes in the walls that needed to be plastered over. It seems like an odd gift, but you should have seen the twinkle in his eye when he understood that he was needed. It was the ultimate good idea in gifting and probably the first satisfying gift giving experience that we did for my father-in-law. This is an especially useful technique to consider those tough to buy for people on our list and it's worth a try. As a side note, I fully recognize that doing this is It's more time-consuming than ordering up a gift card on Amazon, which, parentheses, may I add, can be a perfectly valid gift to give in any number of circumstances. It requires more thought, though, more sensitivity, and more bandwidth as well. The point is not to do this over the next month for every single person on your list. The point is to just pick maybe one, maybe two, and really try to understand them, how they experience love, and to give them a gift in accordance. Next week, I will be enumerating what I like to call the gift receiver templates. This well, this discussion will talk about different kinds of difficult to buy for people and attempt to uncover what their needs and wants may be and how with your gift or the way you select and give them the gift, you can help respond to those needs. I know, I know, you never expected to get into the philosophical or psychological weeds about Christmas gifts. But fairy dust can take you to some unexpected places, Miss Pop. All right, so you have some homework this week. You are going to spend some time, first of all, making that Christmas list, and then thinking about the deepest want or deepest unfulfilled need in your life right now. How you can turn it into practical, small, doable elements. Ask for what you really need this year. Ask for the tangible manifestation of an intangible desire. Then, I want you to consider your list of people that you need to buy for, and think about how one or two of those people receive love. How can you speak their love language this year with your gift? Listen, Cinderella, I believe in you. I believe that you are capable of bringing more joy and more love and more peace into this world because you are willing to do things differently. Do not buy into the more is more fallacy this holiday season when it comes to gift giving. The only way more will ever be more is if you are willing to love yourself more this year. 
by loving yourself more in more specific targeted ways that respond to your deepest needs and wants, you will have more joy and more peace. That joy and that peace is the gift that will never disappoint. I will be back next week to talk about those nightmare scenarios and the people who are really hard to buy for. You be great this week. I want to give a great big thank you to Seven Productions here in Mulhouse, France, for the use of the song La Joie as the intro and outro to the show, to Matt Kugler who sang it, and Claude Egwe who wrote it. This is your fairy godmother signing off. Just remember, it is never too late to start singing with your feet. <laughs>